All right, bow your heads and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you today for what you've already done. I thank you for, uh, Lord, just the privilege I had to look out and see today people worshiping you, lifting their hands to you, Lord, surrendering to you. God, saying that you are worthy of all praise, of all allegiance, of all authority, that you truly are Lord. You're not just Savior, you're Lord. God, you call us friend, but we know you are also master. God, and we just are thankful that you have called us uh, into your kingdom. God, we're grateful to be stewards of what you've given. We are thankful to be servants in your vineyard. And God, most importantly, we are so grateful to be sons and daughters. We get to call you Abba, Father. Your word says in Romans that you put in us a desire to know you, a desire to, to call out Abba, Father, that same spirit of adoption, Father, that you gave Jesus, that he knew he was yours, you give to us. In fact, can we all just say, Abba, Father. Abba, Father, we love you. We pray you're glorified today in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Well, I have a unique privilege uh, today to, again, introduce Pastor Andrew Pitt. So why don't you come to the stage? Give him a hand as he comes. Months and months ago, when we were charting out like a plan of attack here on, on launching the Warren campus, um, we put a date down and it ended up working out uh, great uh, that I was going to, I got to be at a conference this last, it really wasn't a conference, actually they told us a lot of times, this is not a conference, this is just, it was really neat, it was a handful of people called the Father Initiative, I'll tell you about that later, but um, that gave me kind of a, a great time to be away with Danielle and experience that time with some other pastors. And God has put a word in Pastor Andrew's heart, and he's going to preach today. So one more time, can you give him a warm welcome? Amen. You guys awake and alive? Yeah. There we go. Three of you awake and alive. I love it. I am excited to share with you today. Uh, if my face appears glowing, it's not necessarily the Lord. I'd love to tell you that it is, but I went to uh, Pioneer Waterland yesterday and uh, did not properly sunscreen myself. So if I'm glowing, you can assume it's the Lord or you can assume I got sunburned. Whichever makes you feel more spiritual, we'll go with it. Amen? So we are in the series, uh, Why, and we are uh, in part two of, I think, the third installment of this series uh, called Why We Plant Churches, and I'm excited to share with you why uh, we plant churches because uh, I'm a church planter, so it just seems like a natural fit that I get to share that thought with you uh, as, as we continue in this series. So what I want to do real quick, and uh, this is going to tell me a lot about uh, how much you like me, love me, or are just tolerating me, uh, and all of the above are okay with me, uh, and if what I ask you to do is uh, a frustration to you, please feel free to email complaints to dave.brock at rockagrace.org, okay? Uh, that way I don't ever have to see them. But what I want you to do is, uh, if you could, stand up. Uh, and I want you to find a new place to sit for me. Uh, if you're physically able, if you're not physically able, uh, no harm, no foul, just please stay seated. But if you are physically able and you love Jesus, please stand up and just find a new seat for me because we want to change things up a little bit this morning. I know it's, it changes difficult. I get it. I'm so sorry, but I just feel like it's needed. Amen. It's going to throw off everything I've learned, but uh, 
Thank you for not getting upset with me. Change it up this morning. It's going to throw off everything I've come to know about where you sit. So if I look at you funny, it's because I'm not used to seeing you there. And again, that email is dave.brock at rockofgrace.org um, if, if this bothered you. So, uh, and if it didn't, uh, the email is a.pitts at rockofgrace.org if you wanted to thank me for the moment. So uh, the reason I wanted you to do that is because sometimes uh, when we are comfortable in what we've done for any length of time, uh, we grow kind of complacent in the routine of what it takes to create that comfort. And what I mean by that is, is every day we have some semblance of a routine. We get up and specific to this Sunday, you got up this morning, you already had it in your mind that you were going to church. If you had children, you knew you had to get them up, get them ready. At some point, teeth had to be brushed, hair had to be done to the best of your abilities because uh, my, ch- my son will not sit still and he thinks that hair product is of Satan. So, uh, <laughs> he just, he won't let it happen. And you got in the car and you came here and more than likely you came in around the same time, you talked to the same people and you sat in uh, the same seat. But what I wanted to do this morning is I wanted to change it up a little bit because what we need to realize as we get into this conversation this morning is that number one, change is hard, right? Any type of change in our life is difficult. Uh, it can be uncomfortable for us. Uh, it's, uh, it's frustrating at times. But I want you to know this morning that change is needed. See, the God we serve is always moving forward. He's progressive in that he never stays in one place in the sense of where he's wanting to take us in our relationship with him. Does that make sense? Now, when I say progressive, I'm not politicizing anything uh, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So his promises remain the same, but the application of those promises with regard to your life moves us forward. If If you've ever read the Bible in any type of capacity, what you'll discover is God was always moving his people forward into his redemptive plan. From the time that Adam and Eve fell in the garden, this plan was hatched, if you will, that moved them from a Levitical sacrificial system that was not based in any sense of a relationship, and it moved them forward into Jesus in the New Testament where everything began and was centered from the place of relationship. And as God continues to move us, eventually he will return and we will be called up with him in the rapture and all of those things. And then we'll, we'll end the whole book. God will reboot the computer. He'll rewind the tape and we have a new heaven and a new earth again. Amen. He's progressive in nature. And in that, if we don't stay in step with his spirit, we end up falling behind and we can't allow the comfort of what we're used to to be the reason why we miss God's opportunity in our life. Amen? I feel like I'm preaching a little bit today. So good. I'm not going to dance because I'll fall off the stage. But <laughs> So uh, I want to tell you this morning that spirit-filled churches reach the lost. And I'm sorry to the tech team back there because I, I, I've messed them up on slides. I've, I've shifted the order a little bit. But that's the main focus of what our conversation is going to be about as we thread in the idea of a new campus and a new place for Rock of Grace to be extended into a different community. See, what we're doing with the Warren campus is we're not changing, in a sense, what Rock of Grace is in its DNA. All we're doing is creating an extension 
of what God is doing here in Kensman, and we are moving it into a city that needs what takes place in this room and in your spirit so that they can have a transforming encounter with Jesus. Amen. Come on, you can celebrate that. It's okay. This is a Pentecostal church. You're supposed to yell and talk and be loud and distract me. If someone has a tambourine, actually don't use it. <laughs> but I want to talk to you uh, as, as we continue in this, uh, the idea of home. You know, Hobby Lobby um, loves signs and, and things that cost more money than I think they should. Um, but they apparently are called wall decor and we need to put them in our houses. So we go to Hobby Lobby, except on Sundays, and we see all of these signs. And you may have come across them. You know, home is where your heart is. You know, we got to make this house a home, right? And really what they're saying is just having a location, just having a place, just having space, and even putting people in that space does not make a house a home. Things that make a house a home is an intentionality to create and cultivate relationship that goes beyond the surface so that those that are attending something can feel a sense of belonging. Does that make sense? I did some research, and there are three things, and I'm not specific to the church in this point, but there are three things that make uh, up uh, a healthy home. The first of which is uh, a, a home needs to, have a pl it needs to be a place of love, right? Love, need, you know, Toby Mac, love is in the house. The house is packed. Like, you get it, right? You need to have a place of love. If all you're doing is fighting all day long, you may want to look at the love meter and see where we're at. We need to remember that we love each other. It also needs to be a place of safety. People that come to uh, kids growing up at a home, people that are coming to your home, a church being a home, needs to be a place of love, needs to be a place of safety. And the last thing I discovered in my research was it needs to be a place of stability. It needs to be consistently there, and people need to learn to count on it. Amen? So I want to read to you a story out of Luke chapter 15. You know, I've discovered in Scripture that the Bible is one big soap opera. It is. And even some of the stories that Jesus tells us uh, in the parables in the New Testament are kind of like soap operas. And this uh, is my favorite one of them all. It's Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. And I'm going to read most of it to you. But I want to tell you, as, before I get into this, that J.G. Wentworth would be proud of this story. Okay? Because it's a story of two brothers, and one of them gets real uh, antsy about wanting what, is, what he considers his. Have you ever seen the J.G. Wentworth commercials? It's your money. Use it when you, right? And it's like awkward, and people do an opera on buses. It's funny, and it sticks in your mind. But it's about a brother, the younger brother, who looks at his father and says, Give me what's mine now so that I can go do something with it. Let me read it to you this morning, Luke chapter 15, verse 11. It says, Jesus continued, he says, there was a man who had two sons. He said, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Verse 13 says, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Right? He partied like a rock star. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. 
So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. The Bible says in verse 16 that he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. I love verse 17. It says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. He said, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father said to him, or his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son, said, uh, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and a sandal on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. We will stop right there for the sake of time. Now, the, the soap opera continues through the rest of it with the older son being a little angsty and angry. I love this story uh, for so many reasons. So what I want to do is I want to break it down with you this morning. So we have this guy, this father. He obviously is quite wealthy, well-to-do. He has servants, and he has two sons. The older son and the younger son. The younger son gets it in his mind. He says, hey, dad, look, I appreciate everything you've done for me up until now, but I don't necessarily know that I need you any longer. And rather than waiting for you to die to get what I believe is mine, why don't you go ahead and give it to me now? He would probably be the definition of a spoiled brat, right? You can say that. It's the Bible. It's true. Okay. He's the definition of entitled in this story. Give me what's mine. So what he's doing in this moment is he's undervaluing the impact the father has had on his life because he's not seeing that what he really needs is to stay within the confines of the home his father has created. And in his mind, he thinks, you know what? This is great, but I think I can do better on my own. Okay? So the father's like, okay, teaching moment. I'll give you what you believe to be yours. And you know what? I'll go ahead and give the old, your older brother his and we'll call it a day. Now I'll tell you this morning that the father, I, I guarantee you rather that this grieved the father to no end because he understood the impact of the relationship between the father and the son in his life. And for that to be severed, would have dealt a tremendous blow to the father. But he follows through with it. And the Bible says that this, this eager son, if you will, sets off for a distant country. He said, it's my time to go make my own way. And I don't need to do it here with you, dad. So he goes... And the Bible says that he squandered his wealth in wild living. I have no idea in Bible terms what wild living means. I don't know what he did, 
The Bible doesn't say what he did. All we know is that he had, and because of his decisions, he no longer has. Right? I wondered this morning how many moments in our life have we walked out of the covering and the provision and the blessing of God because we couldn't come to terms with his way is better than our ways. And in that thinking, we end up sacrificing the good things God has for us because we think we're better at making our own way. See, we're all like the son in this story. And the Bible says in verse 14, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country. Wouldn't you know it? Things went from bad to worse. Not only is he broke, but the land that he's in is dried up. There's no harvest. If there is any water or any food, it costs far more than he has. And so he's in need. Verse 15 says that he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. You may think that that's not important, but most theologians would conclude that the story that Jesus is referencing and the son in the story was more than likely a Jew. Okay, And for a Jewish man to be associated with pigs, which would have been considered unclean, would have been the lowest of the low. This is how far he's fallen because he stepped out from the covering of his father. He left home before he should have. Are you with me this morning? Can you say amen if you're with me? Amen. I want to make sure you're awake. So this is where he's at this morning. He's out in the field and he's feeding and he's taking care of these pigs. So much so that the food that they're giving to the pigs, which anybody, uh, I'm sure there's a farmer in here somewhere. Farmers? Anybody? Yeah, right? God, got it. Anybody ever see what pigs eat? It's like the leftovers of the, like if you think what they put in hot dogs is bad, right? Like pigs are, pigs, like hot dogs to pig is like filet mignon to us. They're like, we'll take that and any other scraps you can scrounge up around the house, throw it in there, put some water on it, put it in my trough, and I'll, the pig will go to town. Okay? That's what they eat, and they like it. And then we eat them as bacon. It's fantastic. Circle of life, right? Thank you for bacon, Jesus. Any bacon lovers? Come on. There we go. Amen. <laughs> Can't tell me bacon's not in heaven. Okay. So <laughs> I promise you it's up there. Breakfast buffet every day. No sneeze guard. <laughs> just get at it. <laughs> right? Some of you are just putting those pieces together. It's good. And so the son is looking around. And he's like, oh, my goodness. This food that those pigs are eating <laughs> looks pretty good. That's how far he had fallen. The Bible doesn't put a time frame on it. But let's say it was less than a year for the sake of our story. A few months back, he was living in his father's house. All his needs were taken care of. He always had more than enough. He wasn't lacking for anything. He was complete. His father was taking care of him. Fast forward, 
He has nothing. He's a stranger in a land that's in the middle of a famine. And the only job he can get is to go work with some pigs, which was, is beneath the faith and religion that he ascribes to. And he's so desperate to fill his stomach that the food that those pigs are eating is beginning to be appetizing to him. What an interesting season of life in this man's story. Maybe you're sitting there this morning and you're wondering why I'm telling you this story. It's a good thing you asked because I want to tell you. You know, we did some demographic studies on the city of Warren. And do you realize that over 70% of the people of Warren have some faith affiliation? That's an, number one, that's an incredible statistic. But if you look at the churches in, in the overall spirit of the city of Warren, that is not reflective in that locale. So what that tells me is there is a group of people that were once at their father's house. And they loved meeting and they were together and faith was full and all of those incredible things that happen when we get together. But unfortunately, because of decisions and turns of events, they've went out and fallen away. And for many of them, they're like our guy in this story this morning. So when we go to Warren, we want to be people who swing the door wide open. And we want to say, you know what? No matter where you've been, and I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, so I'll backtrack in a minute. But no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've been through, no matter what experience you've had, you know what we want this, this place to be for you. We know, you. You know what we want Rock of Grace Warren to be for you. We want Rock of Grace Warren to be home for you. Does that make sense this morning? See, I love verse 17 of this, uh, the, this story because the Bible says that when this, this man came to his, his senses, he got up and said, this, look, even being a servant to my father has got to be better than what I'm doing now. So he gets up and he goes back towards his father's home. And again, the Bible doesn't say specifically uh, you know, how long it took or anything like that. But it does say in verse 20, it says, but while he was still a long way off, it says his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. It says he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. It's interesting because in the culture, uh, in time that this story was written, the father would have held a place of honor and he would not have been in, in, in many ways inclined to run. He would have always postured himself from the position of the authority. And those, even his children, would have had to have postured themselves as the, uh, uh, sub, uh, the subjugate that would come and sit. But I love how Jesus tells this story because it says the father ran to the son. What it tells me is that the father was constantly looking for the son to return. And this is how I pictured it in my mind as I was writing this. 
The father would go about his day and he would be in his home and he would be working and doing as he would do every day. But every so often he would peer out the window and say, is that my son? Anytime somebody would come up the road or the path or the drive to the house, he would say, is, is that him? Is this today the day that he's coming home? Is today that day? Hey, go up to the end of the road. I know you're my servant. Go up to the end of the road and see, is, is he coming? Is he coming up the path? Is today the day? Because the Bible says that as he, the sun was a long way off. It wasn't like for me to Pastor Jordan. It says that he was, he was a long way off. The father got up and he ran to his son. Why? Because the father was continuously postured to look for the son's return. I want to help you understand this. I want us to understand this morning that God the Father is constantly postured in looking for the return of those that belong to him. Come on, you need to celebrate that. That God doesn't turn his back on those that walk away. That God has never said, you know what? You don't want me? Guess what? I don't want you. It's always the opposite with God. He says, you know what? You don't want me, but guess what? I'm going to run you down and I'm going to love on you until my love becomes so irresistible to you that you can't but turn and embrace me back. That's who Jesus is. Amen? And so the father runs to his son and he grabs him. This son is dirty. He is smelly. He's been eating pig food. He's been hanging out with pigs. He's, been, uh, he, he's, he's probably a shell of what he was when he left. And it had no bearing on the relationship that the father wanted to reinstitute with his son. Because he grabbed him. He hugged him. He kissed him. He put a ring on him. He put a robe around him and said, guess what? My son who was lost has now found. Come on. You want to know why, Warren? Because there's people there that are lost and need found. There are people there that need the message of hope and redemption that comes through Jesus Christ only. They don't need it in drugs. They don't need it in alcohol. They don't need it in other pleasures of this world. They need the gospel of Jesus to take the darkness and push it back as it shines its light. So why Warren? Let me tell you why for me. Let me tell you my story. I grew up, I graduated from Champion, but I spent most of my time in Warren. I learned how to swim at the YMCA, almost three blocks away from where our church is going to be. I went to kindergarten down in Warren. I hung out in Warren. I spent most of my time in Warren. My parents got divorced when I was 10 years old. Not uncommon in today's culture. Uh, when I, as I tell you this story, I'm, believe me, I'm not looking for sympathy or, or uh, you know, any of those things. I'm just wanting to give you an insight into why I'm so passionate about what we're about to begin in this location. So my parents got divorced when I was 10, and I, li- I ended up living with my mom uh, in, in a little two-bedroom apartment. She had to work 60, 70, 80 hours a week to make ends meet, to put food on the table. My father was de-evolving into deep alcoholism, uh, which caused him to, uh, which, which actually, uh, so they say, coated his brain, the alcohol coated his brain to the point where he uh, got schizophrenia. So he would spend his days peering out windows thinking that people were after him. 
And this is, this is what my childhood began. I would often come home in the afternoons through no fault of, of my mom's on any level. She was working to pay bills. But I would often come home in the afternoon after school and be left alone until 3, 4, 5, uh, 7, 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night. I learned how to cook really fast, which is good because we ran a restaurant, so it wasn't, it wasn't as difficult as it sounds. It was the people of Warren. It was the community, the city that helped take care of me, that helped love on me, that helped make sure I was okay. Even as I grew up visiting, my father moved to a, to a small, he lost the house, our childhood home, to foreclosure because he stopped paying bills because he drank himself into, uh, like I said, mental illness, in and out of rehabs, forcibly committed uh, for his own health. And as he moved to Warren, I remember driving through the city, the little downtown area and around Elm Road, Trumbull Avenue by the hospital where his little basement apartment was and just knowing that God had something incredible for this place. I got saved at Warren First Assembly when I was 11 years old uh, and it changed my life. So for me, why Warren? is because Warren is my story. It's my city, it's where I'm from, it's, it's where my personality is, it's my roots. I like Warren. I'm not nervous in Warren. I don't, I don't think I'm gonna get beat up, shot, or taken out. It's an incredible city that needs a spiritual revitalization, that needs the presence and power of Jesus to come to meet it. And we're about to open up a campus in just a few months, right, and it's downtown. That's worth celebrating. So you, you're asking yourself, what are, we, what are we doing with this campus? Why, why, Warren? Why, you know, okay, your story's cool, Pastor Andrew. We get it. We all have a story, and, and I, I know you do. My story's not much, any different than yours. It's contextual. What I went through is different than what you went through, but we all went through something, right? So what do we want to do with Warren? What do we want to do? We want to create a home. We want to create a home. We want to create a home for the hurting, for the lost, for the broken, and for the forgotten. And you can fill in the blank. We want to create a home for the people of Warren to come, find faith, find hope in Jesus, and find community with one another. Does that sound like something we can do? But I want to tell you something this morning. Because in my leadership, I'm extremely pluralistic. What that means is I don't like to do anything by myself. I think the collective is much better than the individual. I think the ideas and the giftings and the abilities and the calling of God on your life is far greater than what God could do through me as an individual. I love what it says in the book of Ephesians. Chapter 4, verse 16, it says, From whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. I want you to understand this morning that if this, if this mission, this vision, this idea of a campus in Warren is going to be successful, then I need you to get behind the idea that we all have a part to play. The kingdom of God is not designed for the passive. It's not designed for the, comfort, the comfortable and the complacent. God has a grander vision than what we even understand for this world. And in that vision, we all have a part to play in it. We're the dots that make up the pixels that make up the bigger picture that God has for this city, for this vision. 
And you, me, and everybody else and their mama have a part to play in it. Does that make sense? I want to read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 12 through 27, or when I stop. Who knows? We'll see if we go all the way. It says, verse 12 says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts from one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, a slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would, uh, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the, bod if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. I love what it says next. It says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. And the, hand, and the head cannot say to the feet, I do not need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. It says, now you are the body of Christ. And each of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church, first the apostles, second prophets, third teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, uh, of helping and guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret. Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And then from there, it goes into the, to what we've deemed in our American context, the love chapter uh, in chapter 13. But I love this because what it does is, it, is, is Paul is beginning to paint the picture for the church that, and he uses the illustration of a body. And he says, we're all one body, although we're made up of many parts. And he talks about the head and the hand and the foot and the ear and the eye and how they each have a uniqueness and, and purpose to the whole body. And one cannot say to the other, listen, you're not like me or you're more insignificant or you're smaller than me. I don't need you. Let's get rid of you. Right? But rather, he, and, he, and he even goes actually on to say, you know what, if we were all one eye, there would be no hearing. What he's saying is if we all had the same gifts... There would be no uniqueness and no diversity among the people. But rather, he continues to paint this picture of, of what a healthy body looks like. And then he parallels that on a spiritual plane and says, listen, 
You all essentially have gifts that God has given you, and those gifts are what comprise the health of the body. Some of you prophesy, some of you speak in tongues, some of you have the working of miracles, some of you are hospitable, some of you are administrative, some of you are, are X, Y, Z, you fill in the blank. But the beauty of the, our relationship with Christ is we all have gifts that he has given us. My question this morning is, what are you doing with the gifts that God has deposited in your life? Because we're living in a day and age where it's becoming increasingly harder to be a person of faith. And we're living in a culture that is doing its very best to hide the idea that Jesus is alive and on the throne and he's the savior and a resurrection and all of those incredible things that we celebrate. That's the world that we find ourselves in. And I, 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 when I think of that, I stop and think, you know what? There is no greater time than the present that we currently live in to begin to operate as the body of Christ and exercise those gifts to a lost and dying world that is in desperate need of Jesus. See, we're one body, many parts, right? You're gifted, you're gifted. If I had to say it, there's over 200 people in here. You all are gifted. You all bring something to the table. Some of you can build, like you don't even have to think about it. You're like, we need to put walls here, supports here. You give me a Pinterest project, it's going to look a third of what it's supposed to, and it's going to take me eight more days to do it. Pinterest is what makes Christian men cuss, okay? I just want you to know that. Oh, I have a Pinterest idea. Yeah, well, I can't pull that off. I don't know how to do it, okay? It's going to cost me $400 at Lowe's because I don't have the tools. I'm just, I'm just letting you know my life. And my wife doesn't do this because she knows I can't do it. <laughs> she, she found out in our marriage that I can't do certain things. Uh, I tried to lay floors in our last house. I laid them once, uh, the little tongue and groove laminate. I, I discovered that, number one, if you're going to do that, uh, you should buy it with the padding on, the, on it already and not be cheap like I was. And... Uh, Try to put this padding down. These floors are unlevel, and I'm trying to like pound in these. It's just a tear. I'm, we're lucky we even sold the house, okay? <laughs> That's where it's at. Like, I'm just praying as people are walking through it, like, please don't let any of the, like, laminate tongue groove, like, slide so people don't see the sub. Like, that's where I was at. I was like, God, just let it sub quick because I don't need people looking at it. That's, I'm just, just, just telling you the truth. But yet, there are some of you in here that could be like, oh, we could fix that in two seconds. Let me run to my truck. You want to know why? Because that's the variation of the gifts. You know, I could stand up here and talk all day and it doesn't bother me, but if I try to give some, you know, a person in here a microphone, you might have a panic attack, right? Because you're better behind the scenes. I, some of us are better out in front. Some of us are administrative magicians. Like you're like, oh, we just need to make a spreadsheet and we got to get our Trello board out. And we got to get Monday and we got to get, you know, our Google sheet. And I'm just like, can you just give it to me when it's done? Because I don't under, you know, those were the parts of school I did not pay attention into. We're one body, many parts. And we're one church. And come January, we're many locations. We got Rock of Grace Kinsman, amen. Rock of Grace Cortland, amen. And Rock of Grace Warren coming January 2nd, amen. And we need representation from the body if we're going to make a dent in what the enemy has done for years in that city. I want to tell you a couple things before I wrap this up. I want to tell you what Warren doesn't need, okay? And I want to tell you what Warren does need, 
okay? I'm going to start with what Warren doesn't need. Warren doesn't need our pity. They don't need our attaboys. They don't need our judgment. They don't need our, well, if you would have done this, this wouldn't have happened. We know the answers. I'm not saying we're not right in that sense. But that's not what that city needs. But I want to tell you what that city desperately needs. Can I tell you that this morning? The city doesn't need your pity. They don't need you to look at them like they're your little brother pet project. They don't need any of that. What they need you for, what they need us to come in there, they need the spirit of God that rests on the inside of you. That same spirit, the Bible says, that raised Jesus from the dead, that dwells richly on the inside of you, they need that spirit. They need someone to come, on, come down there and say, you know what, I know you're going through a lot, but let me show you a place that you can go to, a home that you can be a part of, where Jesus reigns and people love you no matter what, no matter what you look like, smell like, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done. That's what we need to be to those people. They need that spirit that brought you up from your worst moment and put you back on solid ground. They need your story. They need your testimony. They need your experience. They need you to model and say, you know what? This is how I get my kids to church. This is how I get my kids to worship. I throw them in the car and I drag their butts in because they need to hear about Jesus. That's what that city needs from us. They don't need our handouts. There's enough people handing stuff out. Does this make sense? So I want to wrap this up for you this morning. And I want to ask you two questions. And I'm new, uh, and I don't know you that well yet. I don't know, uh, you know very much about you. I, I love being here, and I love uh, the spirit of this body. And I look forward to getting to know you uh, in the next Till, till Jesus comes back or, you know, I go on the glory. Um, 33, but I got the gray hair of like a 74-year-old. My mom looked at me yesterday at Pioneer Water, and then she said, son, she calls me Drew, uh, in a southern, old Kentucky southern accent. She's from Kentucky. She says, Drew, I just can't get over how gray your hair is. I said, thanks, thanks, mom. I said... That's partially your fault, and uh, I'm just kidding, I didn't say that. <laughs> I said that's, uh, that's the last uh, 16 years, 12 uh, full-time uh, working with teenagers and dealing with their issues, I think. But I, I love uh, everything about what God's doing here. I'm, I'm, I'm sold out to the vision of this house. But my question to you is, number one, Am I completely committed to the church planning vision of Rock of Grace? And these are not accusatory questions. I just don't know you. I'm asking you because one of the things that the Lord has taught me in my life is the idea of self-reflection and self-evaluation. So that from time to time I step back, whether it's a situation I'm dealing with or something I'm going through, maybe a way I handled a problem wrong, I step back and I say, Holy Spirit, Where is this attitude, this character issue, this problem coming from? You know, if it's a problem I'm having when it comes to ministry, I'll often ask myself, am I bought in to the place I need to be bought into? Am I sold out to the vision of what's being asked of me? 
And the Holy Spirit begins to have a conversation with me. And sometimes it's pleasant and loving and encouraging. And other times he pulls out his, his Holy Ghost hand of slap and he hits me in the head. And that's okay because that's the relationship I want to have with, with him. The first one is, am I completely committed to the church planning vision of Rock of Race? 10 churches, 10 years, we're transforming trouble. I'm not going to lie. It is a lofty vision, right? It's huge. And I know it's a God vision because even in this room now, there's not enough people, money, time. That's how I know that the Lord's behind it and that he'll end up doing the work. But if you're remembering anything from what I preached a minute ago, you all have a part to play and we're one body of many parts. So you have to ask yourself, are you committed completely to the church planning vision of Rock of Grace? And after you have that conversation in a moment, I wanna ask you the second question. What am I doing to support that vision in addition to prayer? I will tell you that prayer is the number one driving vehicle behind any successful ministry in any capacity, in any location. Prayer is the most important thing you can do, but prayer is not the only thing you can do. We all pray and we all wanna pray and we all should pray. Heaven listens, Jesus responds, right? Through prayer. So please be praying, pray for here, pray for Kinsman, pray for Cortland, pray for Warren and pray for any other locations that God brings and in any capacities and ways those are taking shape in the future. Please pray. But in addition to prayer, what are you doing to actively support this vision as we begin to unroll it into our second city in January? So what I want to do as this music continues to play is I'm going to give you a minute, two minutes, and I want you at your seat, and if you want to come to this altar, you can, but at your seat, I want you to begin to have that conversation and I want you to ask yourselves those two questions. Because I don't know, I'm, I'm not, again, these aren't accusatory questions. These are questions I, I asked myself before I came here. I, I, I sat down and Monica and I talked and said, are, are we sold out to the idea of, of a church plant in war and are we sold out to the idea of transforming Trumbull and, and all of the ways it's taking shape? And we prayed and we talked to God and we talked to one another. Because we, had, we knew that if we were coming, we needed to be in 100% lockstep with what God was doing. And we arrived at the conclusion that yes, we are at 100% lockstep. So take a couple minutes, and I want you to have that conversation at your seat. It's not time to pull out your phones, not that the internet would work in here, but uh, that's a funny, you can laugh at that. And I want you to talk to the Holy Spirit. Amen. So just take a couple of minutes. Go ahead and put that music up just a little bit.
As you're having that conversation between you and the Lord this morning, I want to just draw your attention back to this, this card. There's some opportunities on the back that you can be a part of to making the launch of Rock of Grace Warren a success. You know, there's a checkbox on here. You say, you know what? I want to consider being part of the launch team. That's the team that that leads up to the, the, the first service in January and then sticks together for the next six to 12 months. And at the end of that commitment, you can either come back to the campus you're comfortable at or you can continue serving. That's a big ask, and I, I know that. There are some that are already signed up. They're coming to the meeting this afternoon to hear more about it and, and to be part of that launch team. But if you're in here and you, maybe you missed the sign up or, or you're curious the Lord stirred your heart during this message, and you want to hear more and consider being a part, please don't just come if you're hungry because we do have food, but not food for everyone. And go ahead and as you're filling out that top, check that box for us. You know what? Maybe Pastor Andrew, I, I want to work on a serve team or an outreach team. You know, I, I can't commit to, to being part of the launch and that's okay. No harm, no foul, no hard feelings. We, I love you. But you know what, I, I, I can go hand out water. I can hand out popsicles to kids at a park. I can hand out invite cards. I can, I can talk to people in neighborhoods and on streets. Or you know what, I've, I've, I've got skills like painting, drywall, you know, uh, uh, construction ability. I can tell you why your building's gonna fall down in like five minutes. You say, you know, I can, I can be part of those teams because those aren't all the time and I can fit those into my schedule. And then you know what, check that box for me. We're going to have several work days because there's some renovations we got to get done. And you know what? I don't have a ton of skills, but I can move furniture. I can paint. I can set stuff up. I can haul stuff. I can, I can help in that capacity. I got hands. I'm not the strongest, but I'm somewhat strong. Like, I got ability, right? Then do me a favor. Check that serve at a workday box. And if you got skills, like, you know what? I'm the greatest painter since Bob Ross. Check that for me. Let us know that on there. Write that down. Like, Bob Ross ain't got nothing on me. And the last one, and this, I don't like talking about money because I think it's, it's just awkward, but listen, I, ministry takes money. If you say, you know what? I can make a financial pledge over the next six months to help make Rock of Grace Warren a success. Check that box and there's amounts there. Once you give online, you give it to, if you're giving through your phone, you can give it to the Warren Tithes and Offerings and you'll get an email about your pledge and, and stuff like that from us. But those are some options for you today. I'm going to give you another minute if you're still considering thinking about some stuff before I pray. Those are your opportunities on there. Like I said, if you want to be a part of that launch meeting, it's in the cafe a little bit after service. Give us till about 1145 and we'll be good to go. I was going to do this in the meeting, and I was just praying. When he, knelt, when he said, hey, I want you to bow your head and ask that good question about what our role is. Am I committed to this? 
I, I just felt like the Holy Spirit nudged me and say, tell Marcus's story right now. I was going to tell you a story in there. It's going to take one, only one more minute, two minutes max. Maybe put it right up here. Because I want to tell you about Marcus Foling. I want to tell you about a changed life. Marcus Foling grew up in Warren. You already met a changed life in Andrew, right? The man behind the <laughs> Marcus Foling was an all-star athlete. He went pro. He played professional football, Andrew. But in his second year, he had a horrible shoulder injury. And I was leading worship at an event where I was hearing him speak. And it turns out, he says, I turned to the very thing that I was raised to learn to turn to. I turned to drugs. He said, my life went on a downward spiral. Next thing you know, like my whole identity was wrapped up in football. Andrew, he said, this is what I am. I'm a football player. I'm an all-star athlete. So when that was taken away from him, he went down into drug addiction. I, as you can tell by amaz- my amazing drawing skills is another part of the story. You know who this is right here? This is a man named Everett. His name is Pastor Everett. You see, he started saying, well, but there was a man who reached out to me and said, if you'll let me, I'll be a father to you. If you'll let me, I'll take care of you and I'm going to help you get out of this hole that you're in. And so he invited him not only into his church, but into his home and he became a father to him. Everybody say father. And he put him in a process called Teen Challenge. Everybody say Teen Challenge. But you see, like, he, like Andrew was talking about and alluding to, it's not just that they need another program or they need pity. They need moms and dads. Moms and dads. You see, Marcus was believed in and loved and fathered by Everett for a number of years. And now you know what Marcus is doing? Traveling all over the United States. He started something called Reach One. Reach One. He started something called Reach One Creative, where he helps these younger kids use some of these things that he always found interest in, art and photography and video, to help bring them into something else, to find their identity and their time, creating something and building their own sense of worth by creating something and contributing. And he is currently still going to Southeastern University. He's ministering all over the United States, Pastor Andrew. His life was changed, not just because a church was built. It's the combination. There was a church and there was a man who said, I will be your dad if you'll let me. And what we're asking you is help us find the Marcuses. Help us find those young men and those young women who need the hope of Jesus Christ, who need to know they have a home. I love that message. Can you real quick give a big hand to Pastor Andrew? Thank you. To Pastor Andrew. I want you to go out, grab a sandwich, go in the cafe, and learn more about what you can do. But can you just stretch your hands towards this man of God? We're going to pray for him. And is Monica in the room, or she's already in that meeting? Okay. Come on up here. We want to, how many know you? When you do ministry, you do ministry together. And those of you that are in ministry, you know what I'm talking about. You're praying with people. People are at your house, loving on them. It's, it's 24-7. So reach your hands this way. Father, we thank you for this couple. We thank you for the burden that you put in their heart. 
God, the burden to reach their hometown. God, I thank you for the Marcuses that are going to walk through those doors. God, the sons and the daughters. God, that those who feel that they are hopeless and, Father, that they don't have a home, they don't know their identity and their self-worth, but you call them worthy. You call them loved and you call them son. You call them daughter, and you're going to use this couple to raise up, God, serve teams and a family who will express that love. So we bless them. We pray that every dollar is going to be raised, God, that every, every person, every serve team opportunity, God, will be filled, that there will be no lack. In fact, can everybody say no lack? No lack. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen? amen. All right, anything else that you all wanted to share before the meeting? Yeah. I, like I said a minute ago, just give us a little bit of time. Uh, we, we got food from uh, Chipotle, and we couldn't pick it up till 11, so uh, Happy is rushing back here now with that. Uh, so if you are planning on coming to the uh, interest meeting, uh, just give us a few minutes uh, so we can finish getting set up. But if you did fill out those cards, let me just say thank you so much, number one. Uh, but uh, there is a table right out here, uh, right outside the cafe. If you did fill out those cards, if you could just drop that card off at the table for us uh, so we can collect them and we can, you know, we can start sending out emails to you and just keeping you updated of what we're doing as we get ready to launch Rock of Grace Warren in January. I love you guys so much. Thank you for letting me share. Amen. Thank you, guys. Enjoy your Sunday.